0: The Tom Woods Show, episode 2101. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here, The Tom Woods Show. Hey, everybody, I'm giving away three free courses from my liberty classroom. One of them is ex Marxist Michael Rechtenwald teaching you about critical theory so you can understand leftism and fight it better, as well as our course on How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America and the History of the Conservative and Libertarian Movements. Check it out at threefreecourses.com. Hey, everybody, Tom Woods here. I am joined today by Joni McGarry, who is heading up a nationwide effort to get COVID vaccination and booster requirements lifted on college campuses. This, of course, has taken a lot of people just trying to live their lives and upended them entirely, made life very, very difficult, and she is trying to get this fixed. Now, of course, there are a lot of issues that are involved in this. You know, Do these shots actually accomplish what people think they do, and are they stopping the spread and all that? There's so much we can talk about with this, and I'm delighted to have a chance to do that. Joni, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Tom. Can you start
0: off telling us a little bit about your background, how you came to be involved in this cause?
1: Sure. Thank you. I live in Bloomington, Indiana, and I have a junior at Dartmouth College. And he was going back to school in December. And I had recently just closed a business and looked forward to sort of retiring. But in December, Dartmouth announced a booster mandate for all their students. And Dartmouth, like 325 other colleges across the country announced that in December. a 1,000 colleges mandate the primary series of the COVID shots for students as a requirement of matriculation. But when they mandated this booster, it just activated me to action. I just thought, well, I really don't want my son to have that. So I need to push back on it. And so I tried to collect some like-minded parents at Dartmouth. And that was very difficult to do, to oppose the booster mandate. But we did get some. And I thought that armed with data, we'd write a letter to the college and get results. And in that process, I also realized that there were other people across the country who must be feeling that these mandates weren't appropriate for the student population. So I reached out on Twitter and said, I'd like to get a group of like-minded parents together. And I'd never really done anything like this before. I had 100 followers on my Twitter feed. And overnight, I had 80 direct messages. And fast forward a couple months later, We now have a coalition of 2,500 stakeholders, college stakeholders, who are working to end these mandates and restore sanity to the colleges. So it basically started out as just a mom trying to say no, put herself between the college and her son, and it's turned into something entirely different. Because I think there's a big need out there to connect people who are like-minded in this regard.
0: The booster aspect in particular is the most shocking of all. Now, when I say shocking... I mean, what I might've expected three years ago. Nothing shocks me now. (laughs) Right. But the numbers with regard to the booster, I mean, there's some ambiguity about the initial shots. I mean, people look at the data and you hear some people say one thing, some people say the other. But I don't see how there's any way you could weasel out of the boosters. There's nothing that indicates that this does any good. I, I don't think it does. And it overlooks, of course, that there are risks too, to bear in mind. So it's like it's just part of some kind of fanaticism, just an ideological fanaticism, regardless of the data. It's almost like the data's beside the point.
1: Oh, I would agree completely. And I'd like to unpack a couple of things there. Yes, absolutely. The booster is an outrageous addition to the mandates for this age group in particular. And we could get into that, but they absolutely do not need that medical intervention. But even the primary series for this population For the otherwise healthy student, if you look at the data, per CDC data, this is a population that has just about a zero risk of serious illness from infection, like a zero risk of death, okay? So you have this young population that doesn't necessarily need this medical intervention. Now, if they're healthy and they choose not to get it, they're still going to be at a minuscule risk of damage from COVID infection. And certainly the booster the same thing, of course, even more so. But these shots also carry with them risk of adverse events. So you have the student population who doesn't need this medical intervention, who is being, you know, it's being mandated on them in order for them to continue or to initiate their education. And so they're taking a shot. And these shots now, we have data showing that the risk of myocarditis, which is inflammation in the heart muscle, and pericarditis, inflammation of the membrane around the heart, the sac around the heart, that the incidence of an adverse event of those things from the vaccine is, in some areas of this population, particularly men, four times greater than their risk of getting it from the illness. Now, this is not true across all age groups, but it certainly is true in the young population. And yet those students are being required to take that risk in order to remain on campus. When the colleges started mandating these shots for matriculation in the fall of 2021, they said these mandates are necessary for two reasons. They said, we need to protect the student from harm, right? So we had to protect the student, and we have to prevent community spread and protect the vulnerable. So the students have to take it so they don't spread it to a more vulnerable you know, an instructor. So those were the two main arguments. And everybody just said, "Great, we'll do it because we want to get back on campus because I think, as you know, in the spring, many campuses shut down completely, including, well, including Harvard. I know that Dartmouth, they shut their spring term down, and many campuses across the country did that. So students and parents were very, very happy to comply with this mandate to get back on campus in the fall. But we knew as early as July 2021, Rochelle Walensky announced this after the Barnstable outbreak, that the vaccines don't prevent infection and transmission. So the argument that a student's vaccination would protect a more, quote, vulnerable member of the community, even at that point, it didn't hold. But that argument was still used. And now we look at the data, and the argument that the student needs protection is also not supportable by data. So the two main justifications that these shots had to be mandated for students. They can't stand, they don't stand based on data. You know, and not just we at Dartmouth, but many parents across the country I'm now learning. They naively thought that you could bring the data argument to these administrators. I mean, we wrote a letter to Dartmouth. It probably had 40 pages of supporting documents, data, studies, articles, And we really felt that they would say, sure, this is great data. Let's have a conversation. And what they did instead is they sent us a letter, which was kind of nice because most colleges don't even respond to parents or students or stakeholders opposing these things. They just ignore them completely. But we got a letter back, which was typical of most other correspondences I hear of as well. And in that letter, it's basically, you know, thank you for your concerns. But we need to do this because, and then they double down on CDC-style talking points. They typically don't, well, I don't think they've done a risk-benefit analysis, but they sure don't share it. So they don't say, well, here's why the scientists at our institution of inquiry and learning, here's the data that shows that the students actually do need this medical intervention. It's just all platitudes and talking points, which begs the question, what is driving this policy and how can they justify, you know, making students, first of all, taking away the right to medical choice from the students and then putting the college in the position to practice, you know, one size fits all medicine, right? The the college is acting as a physician to these students. You know, how can they justify that when these shots do neither of the things that they said that you know, they did to, you know, affect these mandates. So how can they justify it? And then how can they also justify it knowing that there are known and unknown risks to these rushed through development still under emergency use authorization medical interventions?
0: And you were saying you had stuff to unpack from what I said. Now I have a little stuff to unpack here. When you were saying that it's, at this point, pretty much common knowledge, or it ought to be, that these shots don't stop transmission or Mm -hmm. they don't keep you from getting it, they don't keep you from spreading it, and so on and on. It has been strange to observe how many people and institutions are simply proceeding as if that is the case. Correct. Like the entire vaccine passport movement was based on this, proceeded as if this were true, proceeded as if this hadn't been refuted a hundred times over, proceeded as if this hadn't been refuted even by the very authorities (laughs) they urged us to listen to.
1: Yes. That's exactly right. And it is crazy-making when you're faced with that truth, and yet policy is still being made to discriminate against people who have not received the vaccine. And I'll give you a couple for instances. You know, if you're fortunate enough to go to a college that takes exemptions, right? And so if you're at a college that mandates vaccination, you either take the vaccination or you can get a religious exemption or a medical exemption, but not at all colleges. Some colleges do not grant religious exemptions, which is completely un-American to begin with. And then medical exemptions are very, very difficult to get for two reasons. Physicians are very loath to write them because there is a lot of pressure being brought to bear on them to not do that, right? So, you know, I think a lot of these doctors are afraid they might lose their license if they write the wrong kind of, you know, exemption against these products. And then also many physicians just, don't understand that there are risks associated with these vaccines for whatever reason. It kind of boggles the mind. But anyway, on campuses where kids do have exemptions, often they are discriminated against in housing. For instance, UConn stores recently set, you know, the major campus of UConn, they recently set out a communication saying that if a student is not fully vaccinated and boosted, they will not qualify for on campus housing. You know, and there's no scientific reason that they should be excluded, right? Because of what you just said. And then there are also different testing metrics that they have to go through. Most campuses, even if you're fully vaccinated, you have to undergo surveillance testing once a week for COVID. And that's, you know, whether you're symptomatic or not. And unvaccinated people who have exemptions have to be tested twice a week. And if you are asymptomatic and you go in for your test because you have to, otherwise you know you won't be able to go to class, you may not be able to pass into certain buildings. If you're asymptomatic and you test positive, immediately you're put into isolation and you are kept in isolation even if you have no symptoms that entire time. So there are all these policies that don't make sense from a scientific standpoint that are also causing real mental duress on this population which is essentially captive, right? Because these are kids, you know, one could say, well, they don't have to go to college. You should just quit or this and that. And yeah, that is an option for some people. And it wouldn't it be great if everybody said, you know, we're not doing this. We're not going to pay your tuition. We're going to opt out and leave the colleges, you know, stuck. But that's an impractical solution for many students who have worked all of their lives to go to these institutions. Or they're into a couple years of it. They have loans. They have internships. They have job offers. If they don't comply, all of that is taken away from them. And then the question becomes, do you want to live in a country that you have to have your medical choice you know, freedom violated in order to get an education and have a future? I mean, this is America, and this is happening here. Folks, let's take a
0: brief moment for me to spread some happiness. What do I mean by that? Every month, and I checked, I subscribed August 13th, 2019. So every month for two years, I have received a piece of happiness in my mailbox. And if you want to be a hit with your significant other, you will follow in my footsteps. Now, what is that bit of happiness? It is the happily date box. Every month, we get a box with a different theme inside containing a music playlist and activities of all kinds and games and conversation starters that bring you closer together with your significant other. Sometimes it's competitive, sometimes it's cooperative, but it's always fun and relaxing. We've had boxes with an 80s theme, a Japan theme, a stargazing theme, all kinds of different things that help give us a special night together. Show your significant other that you value time together by checking out the Happily Date box. And because you know Old Woods, take 50% off your first date at tomwoods.com/date. What's astonishing though in particular, and again, astonishing to the average person. By now we kind of have come to expect this, but these institutions are supposed to be the most prestigious we have as a society. Mm-hmm and they have been by far the most irrational and by far the most immune to data and evidence isn't that astonishing right that these are the institutions we're supposed to look up to because this is where we're supposed to believe that this is where platonic contemplation takes place you know <laughs> and and you know we're supposed to imagine that all this wonderful exploration of ideas is going on and these are the people who have been the least reachable by rationality There's an irony in there somewhere.
1: Oh, for sure. And it also leaves somebody in my position or anybody who is fighting these things, you're sort of without ideas on, well, how do you stop this? Because if you know you have the data on your side and you know you have rational argument on your side and you keep coming up to a a brick wall on this, how do you find the leverage point? And that's what we're really trying to do. I mean, we're looking into why... Okay, so... These mandates, these mitigations, first of all, they're not working. You know, COVID continues to spread on campuses. So given that they don't work, given that they're scientifically insupportable, given that they're reckless in terms of the risk being put on students. And by the way, we're seeing vaccine injuries and there have been some deaths as well that have been documented as resulting from the vaccine. I know one case at a community college that's part of the SUNY system in New York State that the kid took the vaccines to go to campus, to be in person on campus, and he died as a result. So these things are not without harm. So given all that, you have to ask the question, why do the universities and colleges continue to mandate these things? And they're dropping some masking, they're dropping some testing, but the vaccines remain untouched. And so we're starting to ask that question, You know, what is it? And there are a couple of answers that come to mind, either the administrators, the policymakers, they don't have time for it, This isn't that big of an issue to them. It's just a shot. We'll just go with whatever the CDC says and call it a day. We don't really want to do our own analysis, which would be very disappointing, but that could be the case at many institutions. Other things are, you know, follow the money. You know, if you look at the funding coming out of the NIH, National Institute of Health, and the National Science Foundation, just those two funding streams alone, colleges get Millions and millions of dollars annually from those federal organizations, and like we just took a look at some of the numbers. the eight Ivy League institutions, for instance, last year in 2021 they received three billion dollars three billion dollars from the NIH and the NSF right so if I'm in the university and I'm getting millions and millions of dollars from the NIH, I'm not going to sum my nose at the policies of that organization. And that's a soft thing. There are other harder and more insidious pressures that are brought on these institutions. For instance, there's a White House College Vaccine Challenge. And there are, I think, over 800 institutions that are a part of that. Now, they don't get money for participating, but it sure gives them prestige in the eyes of the feds, right? And they get armed with propaganda to push upon their students and ways to set up vaccine clinics. All of these efforts are very vaccine forward. The American College Health Association, which is funded in part by Pfizer, they have 500 member institutions. They have propaganda kits to go out to colleges to promote vaccination. It's just a mindset that doesn't step back to say, you know, how are we protecting students? And so our question really is who benefits from this? It's certainly not the student body.
0: No, it's not. And as Time has gone on. Here I was thinking on the eve of all this. Here I was thinking that I was a little bit on the cynical side. It turns out I wasn't nearly <laughs> cynical enough, you know? Yes. I was like uh, Snow White or something. You know? <laughs> I don't know how to describe. I was not even remotely cynical enough. At this point, if something makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, and they are pushing it and pushing it and pushing mm. it, and you have all the arguments of the world, and they keep pushing it, then they're on the take somehow. There's I'm so, there's no other conclusion left. They're on the take somehow. And it's so funny. These same people who think of government officials and, and people in these big institutions as being quote unquote public servants. These are the people who all the time condemn the private sector for their lusting after profits and all they care about is their private interest and we're after the public good. These people are no better than the people they criticize. They also are out for what's best for them. If they really were looking at the health of the kids, they would look, for example, at your point about that there have been more suicides among this group Mm -hmm. than serious COVID cases. So if they cared, they would look at that. In a way, I don't mention Ayn Rand all that much on this podcast. I like her. It's just not a major influence Mm -hmm. on me. But I remember her saying once, if people really cared about helping the poor, they would look around and say, well, the freer the society is, the fewer material deprivations the poor have. But yet none of them bother to look around. None of them can pencil into their schedules the five minutes it would take for them to do this comparative study. Mm -hmm. And so they can want to continue to advocate things that don't help the poor. Then I'm sorry, I don't believe you anymore. I don't believe you. You're up to something.
1: Right. At one point, which is a little aside from this that I want to make, because it just came to mind and I wanted to make sure to emphasize this, Back to the student population in that age group, your listeners may or may not be aware that Pfizer did not want to release their clinical trial data. And they were sued by a group of really great scientists and doctors. And so now they have to, right? So every month, I think, a bunch of documents get downloaded to public view. And the most recent ones had some information from Pfizer's trial of, I think it was 12 to 17-year-olds maybe, or five to 12 years, I really can't remember the age group. But part of that, in that document dump, they had a disclaimer, Pfizer's own disclaimer, that they did not know, they could not know the long-term effects on sperm, pregnancy, fetuses, or nursing from these vaccines. So they had very strict requirements of any sexually active, I hate the word, sexually active children, but you know these are children. If that you know participant was sexually active, they had to agree to use birth control. And if they didn't, they were excluded from the study and that they should continue to use birth control for 28 days after their last vaccination. So there's Pfizer saying, you know, as late as December 2021, we don't know what the effects on the reproductive system of these shots are. We don't know. And then on May, excuse me, March 29th, the CDC announced that they were now going to be studying vaccine-induced myocarditis long-term effects. And that population is mostly in you know, young age group. So here are those two things, reproductive, unknown long-term effects and known risks of myocarditis in young people. So those two things are real. And yet we are mandating these shots for the sweet spot of that population, right? And I'm not saying that people shouldn't have a choice. They should. But why would you do that without caution in this age group? why wouldn't you say let's proceed with caution or let's really look at if these vaccines are necessary for this group and none of that is happening and i think that's why we are so motivated to get these things stopped just because they're doing a net harm to the students and i i have no doubt about that in my mind and then there are of course the larger issues of social engineering and compliance that these campuses are these really sweet labs for testing and i think this is all part of that
0: one thing that's worth noting here is that I, this is a podcast. People get it through podcast apps. Mm -hmm. They can get it on my website. But I also, even though there's no video involved, I put a version up on YouTube because why not? It gets a few thousand more Mm -hmm. people who look at it. But I won't put this one on YouTube because I know what's going to happen. Sure. And the thing is, we have not said a single thing that is even debatable. Right. It's not even debatable what we're saying. And you can't say things that are true and beyond debate on that platform. So if they're as crazy as the, if anything, they might be slightly crazier than the universities. Mm-hmm. If, and that's a feat in this day. That is a feat. <laughs> you have a website, nocollegemandates.com. Yes. What do people find there? What does this help them do?
1: Well, it's a really great place to start. We have links to many resources that are very helpful to navigating mandates. So that's one thing. So if you are you have a college student or you are a college student, this will help you find resources that can help you with medical, religious exemptions, just different websites that have those resources. But the most important thing it'll do is it'll connect you to where to get into our Telegram chat group. It's a little unwieldy because there are so many people, but... The good thing about that is you will find your community there. I mean, I think some of the thing that's very challenging on college campuses is you feel alone because you don't want to speak up, you're afraid to, you don't know how many people are like-minded. Here you can find parents, students, stakeholders from your particular college so that you can trade information and maybe get some efforts going to oppose these things. And you'll also find links to our Substack and our Twitter accounts there. So it's a really great place to start to join this movement and to benefit from the knowledge that we've gained and to join our efforts in pressing against this going forward.
0: Okay, very good. Do you have any final words before we wrap up?
1: If you are uncomfortable with these mandates, stand up, raise your hand, raise your voice, find your people. Don't be afraid to move on this because there are many, many more people out there than you think. And we have to do this to help restore medical choice on campuses. It's a fundamental right.
0: All right. Well, the website, once again, is nocollegemandates.com. So check that out. I'll link to it on the show notes page, tomwoods.com slash 2101.
1: And also my Twitter handle is at Lady Spalding 11.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to put that also. Okay. Uh, that will also be on the show notes page. So Great. people can go to tomwoods.com slash 2101, find both of these links, go to both places, and start following Joni on Twitter. And as a matter of fact, I think you follow me, but I'm not quite sure that I'm following you. So I'm gonna go fix that in just a minute. Thank you. And thanks so much for your time. And I hope you have success because a lot of people have had their lives turned completely upside down by this sudden and arbitrary demand. So I'm glad you're doing what you're
1: doing. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. I really appreciate it. All right, folks, tomorrow on the
0: program, our old friend, The Great. Paul Gottfried joins us once again. Paul is editor of Chronicles Magazine, the best magazine you don't subscribe to. you got to subscribe to Chronicles Magazine. That is the magazine that back in 1994, when I was but a pup, I wrote my first article for all that time ago. Gosh, that is a long time ago. <laughs> so of course, I have a soft spot in my heart for Chronicles Magazine, and of course, for the great Paul Gottfried. So we've got kind of a potpourri episode tomorrow. It's going to be like, Paul and I are on the phone together and you guys listen in because it's just going to jump all over the place and be a ton of fun. It's always controversial, but always interesting and enlightening with Paul Gottfried. So I hope to see you then. Thanks, everybody. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.